0: words, if I just emphasize the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't know why the Holy Spirit does what He does. If I just emphasize the gift of healing, you wouldn't know why there's healing. Now, I want to see both in my life. I want to see the Word and and the Spirit, you know? I want to see healing. I want to see miracles. I want to see deliverances. I want all of us to experience God in great ways. But at the same time, if there's a foundation, it's not those things. The foundation is the doctrine. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. So notice what it says. They will turn away from the sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to turn to, uh, brother, I think you lost me there. I think, yeah, yeah, you got to stay where I can see. Verse 3, please. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So what do a lot of people want to hear now? They want to hear now a lot of political stuff. I'm just being honest with you. This is, a, this is now like a trend. All these prophets tried to say Trump was going to come into office and all that, and now they lost a lot of their following, and they want to keep on politics. I'm not preaching politics. When politics come up, I'll correct, rebuke it, encourage it. I'll support you as you do it, but that's not my main thing here is politics, okay? Others, like right now, they want to make it about you just having your blessing so that you can make it through our time of recession or whatever we're going through right now, Okay? Those are good, and we give that to you during the offering message. But I need you to understand that what's more important than that is the way you understand your God and the way you interact with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then how you learn the Scripture and how you teach it to yourself as the Holy Spirit is your teacher. As the Bible says, you need no one to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit. So the teacher can do more for you than I can even do as a teacher. I'm a lowercase t teacher, but the Holy Spirit is the capital T teacher. Amen? Amen? But many of you, let's just be honest, even in a great church like this, don't take serious the doctrines. And so then we get into this little bit of like a speed bump where it's now, well, it's not emotional like it used to be. Or it doesn't make me feel a certain way like it used to. But pastor has changed. No, what I'm showing you this is what I always have done. And this is what you need to get into. You need to get into the word. And then during worship, like I said, man, if you need to receive something, maybe you need to let a cry out today. Maybe you do. Uh, Get it in worship and then come up to the altar at the end and say, I need someone to pray for me, man. You know, that doctrine stuff is great, but I feel like killing myself. I need someone to pray for me. You need to be real about that, okay? But here's the point. Many of us, let's just be honest, we've grown up in our faith. We're mature. We're not wanting to kill ourselves. We're not wanting to look at pornography. We need to now get to the meat of the word. Amen? And that's what this church is built on. It's built on the meat of the word. It's not just keeping you out of pornography. It's not just keeping you out of not wanting to kill yourself or go back to drugs or alcohol or cheat on your wife. I need to get you to the word so that you can have sound doctrine. Okay? Amen? Because it says they will turn their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths, and you can see on my personal uh, Facebook page that you got TD Jakes now doing "Woman Thou Art Loose" conferences with Coca-Cola advertisements over his page. How many know you wouldn't last very? Coca-Cola wouldn't last very long uh, sponsoring this church. It wouldn't last very long sponsoring our event. They would be all on the phone go, man, get that logo off there. This is going to look bad for our company. So imagine how how compromised your message has to be. I'm not speaking about him as a man. I don't know where his soul is at. But I'm just saying, like, imagine how compromised you have to be to have Coca-Cola supporting your Christian conference, and they feel okay with having the logo up there the entire time. The entire time, the logo is there so y'all can know Coca-Cola sponsored this event. I said, next time, what are they going to do? Dress up like NASCAR, have Coca-Cola on here, and and then have, uh, you know, Mountain Dew over here and be dressed up with all their sponsors? But see, that's where the world is at. But if you ask, come on, let's just be honest. If we went out there to that conference yesterday or whenever it happened and talked to the people coming out, how many know they would all say they love Jesus? How many would say that they would, many of them would even have a testimony, I'm not going to go out there, I mean, God forbid, I'm not going to go out there and say they're going to hell, they don't know Jesus. That would be ridiculous. But let's just be honest. If I asked them about sound doctrine, would they be able to tell me sound doctrine? No, what they would tell me is, oh, you know, well, the bishop said this about my life, and it helped me. You know, he said, God's on my side, and he'll never leave me or forsake me. You know, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And all of those things may be very true and encourage them, but it wouldn't be able to be a foundation for them. Because that's the same thing Tony Robbins does next week at that conference center. And I may know he's going to have the Pepsi one up. (laughs) You know, Tony Robbins got Pepsi, T.D. Jake's got Coca-Cola, you know. And they're going to tell you the same thing. You can make it, you know, believe in yourself, so forth and so on. And so I want you to see here that this is the time that we're in. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss, but you. may say, but me. Keep your head in all situations. You see, not just your heart, but your head. The Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, what? Mind and strength. I recommend the book by J.P. Moreland, Loving God with All Your Mind. Do you know that the Christians established universities, Harvard, Princeton, Yale, the Ivy League colleges started by Christians and so today you ought to take on that same honor. You may not know all the depths of the Bible. You may not know all the languages, though that was very important to the scholars uh, to learn back then and even today. But what you can know is what is the truth about your scriptures, how these scriptures apply to your life. So keep your head in all situations and do hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So you see there, we're going to do the work of an evangelist, but we're not just going to be an evangelist ministry. See, sometimes evangelists have gotten a bad rap for only doing evangelism. You think about these famous people who've gone around the world and done evangelism. If they've ever lasted through time and have a legacy, it's because they also did discipleship. And who am I thinking of right now? One of the well-known, best-known evangelists, Billy Graham. Do you know that Billy Graham forwarded a book of discipleship written by, uh, I think his name is Dr. Coleman. He forwarded the book and said, if I would have followed this principle, I would have made more disciples than in all of my crusades and you know what the principle of Coleman's book was that he forwarded was every Christian make 12 disciples if every Christian made 12 disciples I want you to pull out your phone if you have it with you get a calculator app out and do the math with me right now if I here today make 12 disciples by God's grace this year and each one of those disciples make 12 how many disciples will we have this time next year 144 144 if each one of those 144 make 12 disciples, that then make those 12 disciples. So 144 is 12 disciples, make 12 disciples. How much is that? 1,728. If they do it again, we're now getting to the third generation, 20,736. Are you guys tracking with me? Do it again, 248,000. You do it again, 2.9 million you do it again. 2.9 million. got to start over because I pushed the wrong button. 2.9 million. Somebody have the exact number? Yeah, okay, what is it? 35 million? 831. 831. Now times that by 12. What's the next one after 35 million? 429 million. I don't even think we're to the 10th generation yet. What's the next one? It's, yeah, you got to turn it sideways now. Now it's going to a billion. Five billion. Do it one more time because there's more than five billion, and it's going to be what? Some crazy number. Six, yeah, how many? Yeah, but what's the first number, the first two? 61 billion. Do you know that by the 11th or 12th generation, we've won the entire world to Christ? That's why as a pastor, I'm never intimidated by who comes and goes from our church as we continue to grow. As we have times of sifting, it never bothers me. Why? Because if I'm always making a disciple and I'm teaching them how to be disciples, I can win the world to Jesus 10 years from now. I'm always 10 years away from winning the entire world to Jesus. Does everybody get it? Even if just right now, the whole church has started over with 12, just right now, I'm still ahead of the game because I know the, the answer. Most churches have thousands, and they don't even know what they're doing. They don't have the answer. So, if I had to start over again, just right now with twelve, I'm still a happy pastor because in 12, ten years I can win sixty billion. That means we got to go find where the uh, the avatar people are. Got to go make them disciples. Does everybody get that? Now, who was a really smart person that said that was the way he wanted to change the world? Jesus. See, Jesus gave us that model, and he did it on sound doctrine, and he made sure that the people knew who he was and what he stood for. So let's now go to Hebrews chapter 1 as we read this sound doctrine, and as I read it entirely from verse 1 all the way to verse 14, especially those who have read this before, ask yourself this question. Do you know where the author is coming from? Do you follow where he's going? Have you read these scriptures? Not just the quote that he's saying, but have you actually read them in context? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom also He has made the universe. Hallelujah. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. Sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He has provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven so He became so much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels, ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Can I hear an amen? Now going up to the top, what does Paul, who I believe the author, compare Jesus to and show him, a show that he is much greater than whatever he's comparing Jesus to? Angels. Why is that? Because at that time, they began to think possibly Jesus was an angel. They began to get confused about who Jesus was. Do you know that the greatest controversy that hit the church and was actually the reason for the council of Nicaea, nothing to do with the canon of Scripture, watch what you watch, okay? Be careful about what you watch. Da Vinci Co. doesn't know what they're talking about. The Council of Nicaea was not about the canon of the Scripture, but it was taking head-on the greatest controversy of that time, which was Arianism. And what did Arius believe about Jesus, that he was an angel? Do you know that it swept through the church so powerfully in deception that even the pope of that time, which is one of the reasons why we reject the pope having any help for us when we need it, even became an Arian. And do you know that Athanasius was one of the only bishops, bishops were over cities and regions, he was one of the only bishops left in the ancient church that resisted it and he was kicked out? That is how powerful the argument a Jehovah Witness can make towards you because they are a modern Arian. Their cult has upwards of 5 to 10 million members, and it only started 100 years ago. And their biggest argument is that there's only one God, therefore Jesus must be something other than God. The next being that we would know after God would be an angel, therefore God is an angel. Most of you, let's be honest, would not know how to use this to defeat the premise that Jesus is an angel. But I cannot see how anyone in their right mind can read Hebrews 1 and walk away believing Jesus is an angel. The entire point of Hebrews 1 is to show Jesus is both God and Lord. He is not a mere created being. Look right at the beginning. God is speaking through the Son. This is unique because before he has spoken via prophets, only Moses got to see God. Only Abraham and his wife got to interact with the Lord in the plains of Mamre in Genesis 18. Only a select few, like Isaiah, got to see him high and lifted up. So everyone needed to rely upon the mediation of the priest or prophet to bring to them God. The author of Hebrews is telling us, now God is speaking to you via His Son. But we now need to know what is the nature of His Son. The very next verse tells us who, this, or the next portion of that verse tells us who the Son is. He is the one who made the entire universe. Highlight that portion, please. Whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. Can any Jew say that an angel made the universe? Can anybody reading the Bible say that an angel made the universe? Their way around it is to say, God told him, now you make a universe. See, now I'm helping you, but it's really me using you to do it. Does the Bible ever give the impression that God used someone else to make the universe other than himself? No, let's go through these quickly. Go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. When they're receiving the commandments of the Lord, the Lord is very clear who made the universe. For in the six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Who made it? The Lord. Now, going back to our notes, Isaiah is going to give us another passage. Go now with me to Isaiah 42, 5, because now somebody might say, well, You know, the Lord can help somebody to do it and it still be attributed to the Lord. Just like Joe, you may be a pastor and build a building, but you didn't technically build your building. You were just the pastor that oversaw the building. No, I want you to listen to how clear the Bible is. You cannot attribute to God giving the act of creation to any other being because he specifically says he Does it? This is what the God, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out. Now notice this, who spreads out the earth with all the springs from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. Who's doing all of that? The Lord. It cannot be anybody else. Now going back to our notes, we'll see Isaiah make it even more clear. Go to 43.10, please. Isaiah 43.10. Notice now God's going to get even more clear, no one else besides him. He says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. Jehovah Witnesses, Arians, Muslims, uh, excuse me, a Mormons, all believe that there are gods after our God. They say Jesus is God, that's why they can say a God, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So they'll attribute God making other gods, and these lesser gods do his work. The Bible is very clear, there's no God before him, nor is there any God after him. Now go again to Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. Notice how God continues to close the door on any of these beliefs that you can have another God or someone helping God create. And then here now you put the final nail in the coffin. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who formed you in the womb. Did he use an angel to form you in the womb? No, he formed you in the womb. Did he use someone to to make the heavens? No, he made the heavens. Did he make someone to give you breath? No, he gave you breath. That's what the Bible says, right? He says, I am the Lord, the maker of how many things? Of all things, who stretches out the heavens, who spreads out the earth by myself. So, why would anyone be deceived into something other than there being one God who is the Father, Son, and Spirit doing the acts of creation? It would have to be because they don't know the scriptures as well as they thought they did. So, deception comes to those who are gullible, and it's happened even to popes and bishops in the church. Did you hear what I said? Jesus taught us to build our lives upon his word, and that is not just a Sunday school uh, lesson. That is for every mature believer in this place. The word of God is a lamp unto your feet. It is a firm foundation. The heavens and the earth, the Bible says, will pass away, but the word of God will remain forever. If you are going to get anything in this life, get the understanding of God's word. If you are going to pray for anything, pray for the wisdom of God's word. After the wisdom of God's word and the understanding of God's word, you can then go to uh, Mars with Elon Musk. You can then become prosperous and become like Bill Gates or one of these billionaires out here at Amazon. But you must have the foundation, and the foundation is the word of God. Now, going back to Hebrews, notice that he tells us right at the beginning who he is. But there's this phrase right here that oftentimes trips people up. That it's through him that he makes the universe. Now, I showed you last week that for something to go through you, you must have the spatial ability or the power to handle it. So I asked you, could the Lake Michigan today go through me? No, it couldn't. Now, somebody may say, well, if I made it small enough, it could go through you. I'm like, how? (laughs) Spatially, I couldn't handle it even if you made it small enough. Well, maybe you can drink it and urinate, and then that way it could go all through you. Do I have the ability and time to do that? So there's no possible way, no matter how nitpicky you want to get, that the Lake Michigan can go through me. Can I hear an amen? How can any created being have all created things go through them? It's impossible. Listen to what I'm going to say again. How can a created being Something that God creates. Maybe Jesus, to the Jehovah Witness, is this glorified angel, his first creation. How could this first creation have all of God's creation go through it if it was first created? It's impossible. It can't create itself. Do you understand? It wouldn't have the power and ability to match the infinite creative powers of God. It is limited, first and foremost, by its own creation. By it being created, it could not be said to have made all things. If Jesus is created, can he be said, can it be said of him he created all things? No, because there's one thing he did not create, and that is himself. Correct? But the Bible says he created all things. Everything came through Jesus. Now, this is where somebody goes, well, you still have this phrase, through, and maybe if God is infinite in power, he can make one being that is as close to infinite as can be, and it could contain the universe. It could contain all of those things because it says it went through him. So maybe God can make a being one less step powerful than him. Do you know why we don't believe that? Because the same language of through is said of the Father himself, that through the Father everything was made. In other words, we learn that for anything to be created, the size of the universe, had to have God ability. That being had to be God. Therefore, no one else could equal his power. Go to 1 Corinthians 8-6 and you'll see what I'm talking about. There cannot be a God one step less than our God. We've already read that in Isaiah. But even if someone wants to say that the word through makes them think like they're not the originator or not equal to the thing going through them, the same language is said of the Father. Did you hear what I said? If you did, say amen. If you don't understand it yet, you can say, oh my. But if you hear what I'm saying, say amen. Amen. Look at it. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from Whom, how many things came? All things came from whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom came how many things? All things, and through whom we live. Now is there any question to what Jesus must be in his nature if he matches the Father for all things and life? You must be equal to the Father than Jesus. But notice the words that, the, that, that, uh, that uh, Paul uses. He uses God and Lord. Now, if somebody goes, well, this is obviously only the Father is God. Jesus is not God. He's a Lord. That's less. Jesus is a Lord like there's a landlord. Jesus is a Lord like there's a Lord of the manor. You ask them to go. Put in another tab there, please. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. How does the Bible refer to God in the compound form continually? The Lord God. Have you heard that before? The Lord God. Listen to it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. According to the Bible, the Lord is God, right? Is that not true? Go back to Paul. When Paul says we only have one God, the Father, and only one Lord, Jesus Christ, is that saying that the Father is not equal to the Lord of Deuteronomy 6.4? And is that saying that the Lord is not equal to God? In other words, is it correct to go to Deuteronomy, just keep Deuteronomy up so everybody can see it, please. Is it correct to say that the author of Deuteronomy 6.4 is trying to tell you there's two different natures, one of Lord and one of God? No, he says, Your Lord is God. And what do we confess Jesus as? Jesus as Lord. How many Lords does a Christian have? Only one. How many gods do we have? So, what do we learn when Paul mentions the Shema in his confession to the Corinthians? Is that the Father is God and that Jesus is Lord and they are equally in the Shema. They are the one we worship. Did you see that? Otherwise you have to say the father is not lord. Go to the uh, Corinthians passage. You see it says here, we only have but one God the Father. So if the father's not lord then is he according to them. Is that isn't that a good point to bring up? But I thought the Lord is our God. You see they have a contradiction now, don't they? Paul is not contradicting himself. They are contradicting themselves. And I'm going to repeat this about five times so I see more of you be enlightened by it because I think you're confused. Paul calls God the Father. He calls the Lord Jesus. There are people who will want to say that because the word God was used, that that now means the Lord, who Jesus is, is not equal to God they will take the phrase or the, the, uh, the title of God and say that is a greater title than the title of Lord. Does everybody get that? But does the Bible give a greater title to Lord or to God? No, it gives the same title. They're both equally the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if a Jehovah Witness says, Jesus is not called God. See, he's not God. We only have one God. See, he's, he's our one Lord. You then ask them, well, then is God not our Lord? Do you understand? What Paul is doing is Paul is teaching us the persons of these titles. He is saying you can consider the Father your God, your Elohim, your supreme being, and you can consider Jesus your Yahweh, your Lord. But we don't have two Elohim's. We don't have two Lords. He's just taking these titles and he's applying them to the persons of God. Okay, I'm gonna repeat it again. I only see maybe a few of you getting it. Go to Hebrews. Uh, go to Deuteronomy six four. What two names are used to describe the God of the Bible? What are they? Lord and God. Right. Okay. Just take our time here. What are they again? Lord and God, okay. So these two names are used to describe our God, right? When Paul now writes about our Lord and God, he attributes God to the Father, and he attributes Lord to Jesus. Does he do that to contradict Deuteronomy 6-4? Is he now saying the Father is not Lord? No. Is he saying Jesus is not God? No, what he's doing is he's taking two of the most popular titles given to the God of the people of Israel, and he's separating them now. And he's saying, you know the Father as your one God, and you know Jesus as your one Lord. You get it? Okay, more of you got at that time. Don't get confused because that's how the Bible speaks. If you don't understand that, you don't understand why Paul starts off every letter calling the Father God and Jesus Lord. Just go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, just the first one that came to my mind. You will not even understand your epistles. So you're going to Philippians to know you can do all things through Christ, but you don't even know why it's talking about you can do all things through Christ, Right? This is what I'm talking about. Most pastors are naive, simpletons. They don't teach you why Paul even writes the way he writes. Why does every epistle start this way? Grace and peace to you from who? God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Do you think by using this title for the Father that this means Paul does not believe the Father is Lord Yahweh of the Old Testament? No, he doesn't think that. It's obvious the Father is the Lord of the Old Testament. What is the most scandalous thing that Paul is doing is attributing the title Lord to Jesus. That is what is most important to see. That is the thing that should get you to stop if you were a Jew, not landlord, not a lord of the manor, but the Lord God of heaven and earth, the very Lord in the Shema. Do you guys see that? Okay, now let me prove that to you. I'll just show this to you in Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 2. I hope that you're enjoying reading your Bible today. Amen? Amen? Just right here at the beginning, I want to make sure everybody gets it. I'm not trying to be a know-it-all. If that comes across like, "Hey, I'm smarter than you," I'm not trying to do. It. I was a high school dropout until Christ saved me and changed my life. And if I've learned anything, it's only because God has renewed my mind. And what I'm teaching you here is not meant to just be nerdy. I actually believe that this is uh, what you're going to be, you know, judged by. I actually believe these are things that you're going to be held accountable for. Okay, so if you look at Philippians chapter two, God verse nine exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? Is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? Everybody see that? That is a quotation from a scripture. That's why in our... uh, NIV, it makes it look like it's indented and so forth because it's teaching us as readers that this is a reference to some place in the Scripture. Go to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. 45, verse 23. Who is speaking here? Let's just go up a little bit so you can see who is talking here. Go up a little bit, making verses go smaller. Turn to me and be saved, all ends of the earth. For I am who? God, and there is what? No other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me, every what? Knee will bow. Have you heard that before recently? And by me, what? Every tongue will swear. They will say of me, In the Lord alone, please keep up with the preacher, thank you. In the Lord alone are what? Deliverance and strength. And then if you look here, and it says, all who have ravaged him will come to him and be put to shame. So those who have put down what the Lord has done will now be uh, raged, rather, not ravaged him. They can't do anything to our God. But raged against him, sorry. And raged against him will be put to an end. Okay, go back to that Philippians passage. Who must be Jesus if you confess him as Lord and swear allegiance to him? What Lord must he be? He must be God. He must be Yahweh. When Paul is saying Jesus is Lord, he is not saying Jesus is landlord. He is saying Jesus is Yahweh. So going now to the Hebrews passage that says everything was made through him, that doesn't make him a secondary being because something is just going through him. That same exact language is said of our Father, that everything comes through him. Maybe one last time to see where I was tying that up, go to First Corinthians 8, 6. Everything comes from our Father, and everything comes from, our, uh, from the Son of God. And how did the Father and Son implement everything through them? By what person? The Holy Spirit. You're getting it. Wasn't that what was over the deep, the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit has a personality, does he not? The Holy Spirit speaks in the Old Testament. He's not just a mere force. He is a person that speaks. The Spirit of the Lord saith, and then the Spirit speaks through these prophets. The Spirit of the Lord was intelligent, had a mind, was not just a force, and would lead the people of Israel by the cloud by day, fire by night. The Shekinah, as they say, the Shekinah glory, that Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a person. You see, the Bible says, you have one God, the Father, and through all things have come whom we live uh, uh, and for whom we live, and there's only but one Lord. And we would know that now in the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So when it says in Hebrews, now going back to Hebrews 1, please, that through him he made the universe, this is not a statement about Jesus' subordination to the Father. This is a glorious statement lifting up Jesus to equality with the Father, able to sustain and create everything the Father sustains and creates. Because didn't we read in Isaiah that there's only one creator, only one maker of heaven? There's no God before him, no God after him. He alone stretches out the heavens, amen? And so that God must be unified as three persons. It must be a family of persons operating under those titles of God and Lord and Almighty. It must be the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, those Persons are there in those moments, and they are not separate persons. I mean, they are not separate in nature. They are only separate in personality. Now look at verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining how many things by his powerful word? All things. Now once again, if Jesus was made he would have to sustain himself, wouldn't he? And that would be a contradiction because it literally says he's the exact character in the Greek. He is the print of God. He is that which kings would use to seal a ring, uh, seal an envelope with their ring into the the wax. He is that of the Father, not to any lesser degree of the Father, but in exact representation of the Father, and yet he's not the Father. Now, do you understand why in our sermon series on John, Jesus can say, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and he's still not the Father. Because then he prays to the Father. Do you see? That's where it comes together. He is exactly like the Father. If you've seen him, it's like seeing the Father. He's unified perfectly with the Father, but he is not the Father. And that's what Paul is teaching us here, that he's everything God is. And remember, Isaiah says, God does not share his glory with anyone, and yet he's the exact radiance of the Father's glory. And he sustains all things. Notice this, not by the Father's word, but by his word. Open up Genesis 1-1, please. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God creates the heavens and the earth, how does he do it? And God said, God spoke, and it came to pass. I believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it. God said it. Bang, it happened. little tease there. I just believe it happened 6,000 roughly years ago as well because he didn't have to make a baby universe and watch it grow for a trillion years. He could make it full grown. He didn't have to make a baby and watch it grow. He could start with a full grown Adam and Eve, amen? He didn't have to plant seeds. He could start with the garden, So in science, they call this all things being equal. Look up that statement in the Latin, all things being equal. They used to have to do this to insert the creative power of God sustaining everything to even do science. Why? Because without a God sustaining everything as it were, nothing could be the same, or at least they would have no grounding for it. I boiled water today and it was at this temperature, but how do I know it's going to boil water tomorrow at that temperature? Well, you say, well, silly, it's because I did it, because I did it, and it worked. Yeah, but you have no promise that you'll do it tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day. You're taking all things as though they are. Do you understand? That was a basis for modern science, and it came from the Christians. They inserted that there so that you would understand at any moment, if God wanted to go poof, there is no more pots to boil water with, you could still do science. Did you find the Latin phrase? Come up here and read it, good sir. If you can speak Espanol, I think Latin is the the root of Espanol. So put a little Hispanic twang on it. (laughs) Uh, It's not very good looking, but. (laughs) (laughs) Ceteris parebus. There you go. Well, you did your best. Amen. Ceteris parebus. All things being equal. All things being the same. Why is that? It's because God's word is sustaining the universe right now. If he at any time wanted to stop sustaining this world, we would all disappear. And notice it in the Hebrews. Thank you, my brother. Going back to Hebrews, Jesus is the person of God sustaining us right now. Isn't that powerful? When you understand who he is, you'll never fall for a substitute. I don't worship an angel. That's idolatry. But every knee bows and confesses Jesus is Lord. That's before God himself. We don't do this for angels, not even the highest angel. As a matter of fact, what does this passage teach us about angels? There are servants, not just the Son of God's servants who came to minister to him after his fast, the Bible says they came, but there actually are servants. And you know how the Bible says it's going to end for them? We judge them. So yes, we uh, have power and authority upon this earth over angels, not just the, uh, the, the bad ones, but also the good ones. Now, some people take this so far. They want to know who the guardian angel is, and the Bible says we have them, and they want to know their name, and they want to talk to them. That's not how the Bible says it works. Like, you have to call over your angel and say, now, angel, do such and such a thing for me, or show yourself to me. Be careful if you do that. You'll see something, but it won't be an angel. Or not the good ones. It will be an angel of darkness coming as an angel of light. Leave those beings alone because you'll only be deceived if you go into that realm. But here's what you can do. You can pray to the Father in Jesus' name by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he'll dispatch those angels for you all the time every time. My dad used to have a book around the house that Billy Graham published about the testimonies of people encountering angels. You remember that book, Dad? And I used to get so encouraged by reading that book because the Bible says in Hebrews that some of us have entertained angels being even unaware of them. Angels may have come into this church and have been visitors at different times. Angels may have come into your Bible studies as a visitor. May that person that popped in you never saw again. We didn't get their, their, their full location or where they lived, but they came, they blessed us, and they moved on. There's been stories of angels appearing to God's people. You don't have to call on them. You talk to the Father in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will send them. Amen? So he's the exact radiance and glory of the Father, and he sustains everything by his word. And yet, what does he do? He makes purification for our sins. And then he sits down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Now, quickly in closing, why do angels even need to be brought up right here? You might say, well, pastor, there was a heresy that needed to be addressed. Yeah, but why did that heresy even get traction? So why was that a thing to begin with? We know it's going to be addressed, just like the Bible addresses other issues. But why is this one so deceptive? Why is it so problematic? The reason is, is because in the Old Testament, there is a character known as the angel of the Lord. And this character known as the angel of the Lord does everything God can do. And guess what? People over time began to think that that angel was Jesus. And guess what? They were right. But where were they wrong? And what they believed angel meant. You see, most of us, like the ancient Jews, automatically hear the word angel and we think of a created being like Satan and his followers. Some are good and some are bad. Michael and so forth. We immediately think angel equals created heavenly spirit. Because if I was to ask you, what is an angel, what would you say? A created heavenly spirit meant to serve God. Some have fallen. Some are still serving God even now. Amen? And that would give you a good grade even in a Bible class. But you would have to be very specific when you're now talking about the angel of the Lord. Because what does angel actually mean? It means messenger. And so when we think of God's messengers, nine times out of ten, who are there? They're created beings giving us messages, and some of those have fallen, Satan and his cohort. But is that what the name always means, is created being? No, it actually always means messenger, and now you need to know what kind of messenger. Is it a created spirit being messenger, or is it the Son of God, equal with the Father messenger? So why was this such a problem? Because they were doing their theology missing one key component. What was the character of the angel of the Lord? What was the nature? And that's why now Paul, the author of Hebrews, is saying he's not merely an angel. Stop saying he's an angel in that way. Because Paul's now using the word angel like how we would all think of it in the common usage, a spirit being. And he's telling them he is a created spirit being. Jesus is not merely a created spirit being. The reason why he's called angel of the Lord is because he's simply coming from the Father with the message. Isn't that awesome? Let me show you quickly in closing how powerful this is as we get ready to go. Go to Genesis chapter 38. How many know Jacob wrestled with that angel of the Lord? You remember that? And at the end of Jacob's life, he now blesses his, uh, his children, and as he blesses them, he blesses them in the name of his God. It's actually, um, let me see, is it 38? No, it's going to be uh, 49. Go to 49 here. Oh, 48, sorry, I'll get it one more time. Yes, 48. I said, did I say 38? My first passage was 38, right? So I was off by 10. I was off by 10 in the first service too of a passage. It was 23 instead of 33. Something's happening in 10s. No, I'm kidding. I'm not superstitious. It's spiritual. I'm just supernatural. Look at 48. Now notice this in verse 15. Watch this. And you'll see why that was such a popular heresy, and it still is even today. But they missed the entire point. The angel is not a created spirit being. The angel is the messenger. The angel is the son. Watch He's now blessing Joseph. This is Jacob speaking. He's blessing Joseph in the name of his God. Watch this. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd, oh that's from first service too. We learn about God being our shepherd, all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. Does everybody see that? He prays to the angel to bless his boys. Can a Jew pray to a created spirit being known as an angel? You better not. You're an idolater, Jacob. What's wrong with you? Why does he include in his blessing prayer to that one person he's praying to, he includes the title of angel? Because his God has been the angel, the messenger he has met along the way. The application of this message up until up this point is that the one who purifies us from our sins is our God. And so there's nothing that you face in life that you face alone. There's nothing that you go through in temptation that you face alone. You face those situations with the angel of the Lord, the very one who is God himself. Wouldn't you like to know that God is with you today, whatever you're facing? I know I would like to know that. That's why I can take full trust and assurance today that nowhere I can go from his presence. He promised me that he would be with me to the very ends of the age, that I would never be alone. And so today, brothers and sisters, you don't worship an angel. Brothers and sisters, you're not calling out to an angel that needs to ask permission from God to do such and such a thing. You're worshiping God himself. You're worshiping the creator of heaven and earth. You're worshiping the one that only certain people had encounters with. If you weren't Jacob, would you have got to know him? Probably not. If you weren't one of the priests, did you get to see his presence, the Shekinah? Well, only the fire by day, fire by night, you know, uh, cloud by day, fire by night, but you didn't get to go into the Holy of Holies. And yet now that one lives in us. Let us ask Him today one more time before we go on Communion Sunday to purify us of any sin in our lives. Can we do that? Father, look at our hearts and show us if there's any sin that needs to be purified and wash us as white as snow. Come to us, O Father, right now in the name of Jesus and purify us. If you're not a Christian, become one today by confessing Jesus as your Lord and God. Make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. Few moments right now if you're already a Christian and your heart is right for right with God would you ask the Lord to bless you even as Jacob said for the angel to bless his boys to take care of the tribes of Israel would you now pray to the Father in the name of Jesus to bless you to bless your family to watch out for you to keep his hand of protection upon you hallelujah hallelujah